Hello, and welcome to the Table Radio Podcast. This is Jonathan Ellis. I'm a leader at the Table and out at Table Peninsula. In this part of our podcast, we're going to continue taking a look at how what it means to be a Christian relates to our roots as a church community. Our discussions are taken from the book To Be a Christian, which is a catechism, a text that is meant to be used for the teaching and instruction of Christian disciples, followers of Jesus. And the aim of these discussions is to help us to develop and grow and become more rooted, more grounded in our faith and understanding of God. Today we continue our look at our first longing, our top priority, which is that we long to be Christ-focused, word-centered, because we believe that apart from the living Christ proclaimed in Scripture, there is no hope. But before we begin, let's pray. O God, our Creator, who sent your Son as the way, the truth, and the life to save us and all the world, we believe in your reality. Help our unbelief. We long to understand all that it means to be loved, known, and forgiven by you, and to be made whole, at peace with you, others, ourselves, and your creation. We know we have sinned against you, others, ourselves, and the creation of which we are a part. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Open our eyes to all that you are, and draw us closer to you, we pray. Amen. Now, last time we concluded by looking at the question, what does it mean that the Holy Scripture is the Word of God? And we saw that the Old and New Testaments are inspired by the Holy Spirit and are therefore the Word of God written. God is revealed in His mighty works and in the incarnation of our Lord, which are made known through the inspired writings of the biblical authors. God has spoken through the prophets and continues to speak through Scripture today. Today, we are going to start looking at the question, why is Jesus Christ called the Word of God? And I believe no one puts it more clearly than John in his Gospel. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, 
glory as of only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we see this in the book of Genesis. At the very beginning, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he goes on to further explain that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Why is Jesus Christ called the Word of God? The fullness of God's revelation is found in Jesus Christ, who not only fulfills the Scriptures, but is himself God's Word, the living expression of God's mind. The Scriptures testify about him, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Therefore, ignorance of the Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Which brings us to our next question, how then should Holy Scripture be understood? This account from the book of Nehemiah demonstrates the importance of Scripture to the life of God's people. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Not only did they read it, not only did they spend a great deal of time reading it, but they also took the time to make sense of it 
and understand it. And we see that again in the book of Acts. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading over the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Another account from the book of Acts describes how now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So how should Holy Scripture be understood? Because Holy Scripture was given by God to the church, it should always be understood in ways that are faithful to its own plain meaning, to its entire teaching, and to the church's historic interpretation. It should be translated, read, taught, and obeyed accordingly. We began our discussion of our longing to be Christ-focused and word-centered with the declaration that God speaks. And we see through his word that this is true. And this week, we've also been discussing our longing, God, speak. The longing that he would speak to us. 
Our final question for today is, how does the Holy Spirit use Holy Scripture in your life? And we begin with a reading from Psalms that is a part of our daily midday prayer. From Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is a guide to us in our everyday lives. And according to the Apostle John's Gospel, Jesus promised, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And as we've already read in Paul's letter to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And from the letter to the Hebrews, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So how does the Holy Spirit use Holy Scriptures in our lives? Through Holy Scriptures... The Holy Spirit will teach, rebuke, correct, and train us in the righteousness that God desires. The prayerful study of Scripture forms us for life in Christ and the service of God and our neighbor. That brings us toward the end of our discussion. I would like to conclude with this brief excerpt from the book Knowing God, written by Dr. J.I. Packer, who just a few months ago passed into glory. I was very honored to have Dr. Packer as a professor of mine at Regent College. He was a professor of all the pastors at the table, and we were all privileged to have him as our teacher. He was also instrumental in the putting together of the catechism to be a Christian from which we draw our discussion. And so I do hope that our time together does bring honor to his memory. Dr. Packer writes, What is a Christian? Christians can be described from many angles. But from what we have said, it is clear that we can cover everything by saying, True Christians are people who acknowledge and live under the Word of God. They submit without reserve to the Word of God written in the Book of Truth, believing the teaching, trusting the promises, following the commands. Their eyes are upon the God of the Bible as their Father and the Christ of the Bible as their Savior. Let's pray. Gracious God and most merciful Father, 
you have granted us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit, that the same word may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your own image, to build us up and edify us into the perfect dwelling place of your Christ, sanctifying and increasing in us all heavenly virtues. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.